We are back here live in the post office and a familiar face. A blast from the past, everybody. It has been way too long. We are joined here in studio by Cody Safdick. Cody, it is great to see you. Uh, now, people can look at the photo uh, that is accompanying this story. And I've got to say, uh, it looks like uh, Tyson Fury cutting down a few weight classes. You are very much uh, – you're giving me a Tyson Fury vibe. Well, I appreciate it. If you got a Ruka sponsorship. Tyson Fury is quite – you know what? Paul says the same thing. He's like, why are you wearing that hat? You got a Ruka sponsorship? And I'm just <laughs> like, no. Can nobody just wear a hat? As far as the shirt goes, I'd like to compare it more to Razor. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Tyson Fury's on a roll right now. Everybody loves him. Why would I not want the comparison? That fight was um, – I-, I just saw the uh, the story today about the, the amount – of streaming of the people pirating oh. that fight it was just through the roof yeah. like it just is incredible like the the level of interest that that fight had and then you saw the pay-per-view come number come out like 800 850 yeah. that you know you it seems certainly on the low end of some of the expectations you saw but i mean there was no denying like the amount of interest and you know really bringing up a great point of like the level of piracy that people they want to see something but are they going to attach that that price point to such a big fight and this certainly includes the UFC as well when there's a $65 event if people can find alternative means they're going to explore those yeah for sure and in the case of Fury versus Wilder the pay-per-view is like 79.99 Canadian so it's one of those you up the pay-per-view and whereas boxing is different than MMA MMA if they give you a, a pay-per-view event and it has a Conor McGregor you know they're still going to fill it out with other fights this weekend's a great example Yo Romero versus Adesanya they've done a fairly good job of adding some other key parts when you buy a boxing pay-per-view sure there's two or three fights on it you're buying it for that one fight and it's it goes off late you got to stay up you know with the interest in it is huge yeah eight hundred fifty thousand people physically purchased the pay-per-view and millions more illegally streamed it online that's obviously a problem for any network anybody who's looking to put on a, a big event it's like you got to watch out the piracy but co- according to some of the numbers that i was looking at it's like you can't stop it man there's millions of streams that can just get into operation as soon as you close one down but it's, <laughs> it's nice a- to see that boxing has that little bit of flair so uh, the, that quote I always remember, what right when at Napster was at its peak and they're interviewing Kid Rock, it's like, what are your thoughts about this? And like people downloading your music and he's like, I'm rich. <laughs> you know what? That's 100% a fair point. <laughs> I don't so, think they so, Gary Deontay Wilder. Like, yeah. So before the fight started, both got a $25 million guaranteed purse, right? Plus the cut of the pay-per-view. So your cut of the pay-per-view, by the way, eight fifty at that or 800000 it outsold the first pay-per-view. So, oh, by yeah. a significant margin. So now you're making a ton of money on top of that. And then someone's going to tell you like, hey, it, plus you've got all your merchandise from the arena. You get all that. Not all of it, a good chunk, especially in boxing. I think it's like a 60% split or 80% split. Now you, you think, oh, geez, I could have made 10 million more. It's like he's, he's a very wealthy man. He's a rich man. And at the end of the day, I think you see the interest. And even if people are watching it via illegal means, they're watching it on Twitter, they're watching it on Twitch, they're watching it on Instagram, they're watching it on all these other – they know who you are, right? And they're watching all the replays the next day and they're watching all the, the, the video media and they're involved in you. And it's only good for your brand. So, yes, if you lose out on possible money, sure. But I think when you're making that much, uh, there's a positive side that you could still take out of it. What are you telling Deontay Wilder right now? I mean that seems to be that everyone's expecting now the third fight. Do you think this is the time to do it? The argument being that, you know, this – this is the time to do it. I may never get this fight back again. The, I think that ultimately is in Deontay, Deontay Wilder's head of w- what led to that performance uh, a couple weekends ago. And can that be corrected in such a short amount of time and they fight in the summer or fall? 
Yeah, so there's a couple different avenues there. First and foremost, it's like, I don't agree that the fight should get made. I think it was pretty lopsided for Tyson Fury. The first fight was, I'm not going to say lopsided by no means, but Fury was winning the fight, probably should have still got the decision. The knockdown in the 12th round was colossal, and it was crazy, and it created this huge moment, and then now the rematch is a given. It was a draw. You have to do the rematch. But judging by the nature of this fight, it's like, wouldn't I want to see Tyson Fury fight Anthony Joshua? Absolutely. Wouldn't I rather fight, see Deontay Wilder fight a guy like Andy Ruiz? Absolutely. But in boxing, that's not going to happen. So I think if you're Deontay Wilder, you 100% go after this rematch. He's 35 years old. I think that's one thing that's overlooked with him is that because he was unbeaten and he had this big KO streak and he really only just came to the public conscience the last few years, you don't realize that like this is not an undefeated prospect. This is a 35-year-old man. He already had an Olympic run way back when. There has to be a sense of at some point he's slowing down. And I think that's kind of what you see. I mean, yes, he's a big power puncher, but he's never really refined his boxing skills. Whereas Tyson Fury is opposite of that. He's not super known for the power yes he's got power he's six foot nine 280 pounds but he's more known for his precise boxing skills the difference here is that whenever anybody fights Deontay Wilder you stay back right you wait for him to make the move you don't want to overextend yourself you try to play it safe and at some point he's going to land that power on you you try to counterpunch this man you're in big trouble the first time Fury fights him that's what he does he just tries to outbox him he plays this cleaner strategic move of staying back trying to counterpunch but in counterpunching John and you're laying back you're allowing this guy to throw punches. You're allowing this guy to tee off. So I think coming into this rematch, right away, it's set in camp. You're going to pressure him. You're going to put it on him. Nobody backs up Deontay Wilder. No one causes Deontay Wilder to counterpunch. And nobody causes Deontay Wilder to fight off his back foot. Whereas a guy like Tyson Fury, who again is a much superior technical boxer, he can do all that stuff. He can fight off his back foot. He can move. He can counterpunch. Deontay can't. He never has shown an ability to do that. And I think it was just a genius game plan. Just like, bring the heat to him. Don't sit back and try to outbox this guy. Bring the heat to him and you'll realize that once he doesn't have the ability to, to, to lay that big power on you from long range, it's like he's not nearly as effective. And I think he put it completely on him. Hearing the excuses about the 40 pound suit and all of that, I think that's all just like mentally you're in your own head, like trying to find an excuse for it. You need some angle. Yeah. So. Now, listen, if they rematch, maybe he lasts more than seven rounds. Maybe he makes it to the ninth or tenth, but I, I don't see any way he beats Tyson Fury other than that one big punch. And this is a combat sport. Obviously, everybody's always going to have that puncher's chance, but it's like, why am I rushing to pay $80 six months later to watch the same fight when it's like, I've seen what happened and now I want to see more interesting storylines. I want to see more intrigue. Deontay Wilder could work his way back into that fight. But just to rebook it, it's like, is the interest level going to be even higher? The money's I, in the rematch. Is the money in the trilogy in this case? I don't I don't think so. Like, I, I don't think it's it's going to bomb or anything. Like, I think this will – it'll do fine. And I think for Deontay Wilder, I mean, it's going to be a 60-40 split for Tyson Fury. I, I have a really hard time if I'm Tyson Fury getting up for this. So after such an emphatic victory, I mean, we've seen this countless times. Like, it's, yeah. there's really nothing for Tyson Fury other than, you know, he's going to have the – the size of the the purse split but for wilder i guess like what are his options it's like a, a rehab fight with a andrew andy ruiz or it's get this fight while i can because to me fury beats anthony joshua i think that's that's it for tyson fury at that point i don't think the wilder ha- fight happens I if agree. wilder doesn't exercise this now i so, think if you're tyson fury and you're a very rich man you're an undefeated heavyweight uh you have you know the support of your people behind you you are becoming a big icon it's just like what is there left for you you've made the money you've done all these he's also a guy that obviously battles with depression battles with weight issues battles with the the yo-yo effect of being you know amped up for a prize fight and then being on the downside of that but for him i think it's like he's looking at legacy man's name tyson his parents named him after mike tyson there's something for legacy to be said there so who's the greatest heavyweight of his generation is klitschko and he was able to go out there and defeat klitschko now there's a lot of people talking about wilder wilder certainly being the best american heavyweight in a long time but someone who was undefeated and someone who had you know multiple world heavyweight titles 
you go out and now you silently defeat him. Now Anthony Joshua is that last guy. He's that last little key, that last little carrot of here's somebody that you defeat him. You're a triple crown champion. You won all the titles. You defeated all the big names. No one, no one would be clamoring for an Andy Ruiz Tyson Fury fight on the pretense of, well, he did beat Anthony Joshua. They've realized that was probably a fluke. As they've realized the Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder fight, maybe that 12th round punch was that one punch. He's not really shown us a whole lot outside of that one punch. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not clamoring for it, but I think if you're Fury and you want the money, the money's easy. It's there. You just defeated this guy soundly. So it's not like there's anything to really to worry about. And if you're Wilder at 35, it's like, I don't want to fight three more contenders and try to get a fight. I, I just want to cash out on that last fight. If I knock the guy out, great. You know, maybe I fight one more time. But if I knock the guy out, I could also just say, hey, I got my vengeance. That's a career for me, too. I mean, it's not as if they're 29, 30-year-old up-and-coming guys with something to prove, money to make, a legacy to be built. It's already been done. So I think Tyson Fury will be uh, just fine. Myself, I may have the Tyson Fury shirt and the beard. Long ways to go for Cody Safton before I can lie, sit on the beach and uh, enjoy. We'll go just uh, hook up with George Lockhart. He can uh, he can get you up to heavyweight in, in in a record amount of time, and then you're all set to go. I was actually thinking about going Sam Calvillo, Rampage Jackson route, and it's like, boy, oh boy, does Rampage Jackson able to jump up to the heavyweight limit empathetic fashion. Uh, let, let's shift over a bit to uh, mixed martial arts. So coming off this weekend, uh, obviously the big fight was uh, Devison Figueredo defeating Joseph Benavidez with just a, a brutal right hand uh, to Benavidez. And, you know, for uh, today, actually it was um, maybe a day ago that we had Dana White kind of open to the idea now of a rematch between the two. Do you like that direction for the flyweight division? And, I mean, coming out of that fight on, on Saturday – there were a lot of questions about, uh, do we see another flyweight champion in this division? Well, that was a huge question is that, A, you have Davidson Figueroa missing weight, so he's not even eligible for the flyweight title. So now the flyweight division only really survives here if Joseph Benavidez wins it. And then we've got some cool storylines again. He can rematch Henry Cejudo. He has a win over Henry Cejudo. He, you know, he's one of the top guys that's been there for forever. And it just found, seemed like the story was being written for Joseph Benavidez. Everything was too perfect for a Benavidez <laughs> yeah. victory. It's but... a leap year in everything. Just like, it's finally his moment to become a world champion. And, and listen, my honest opinion should have been ruled a no contest. The headbutt caused everything. And the referee who's standing right there, Dan Mariliotta, sees the head clash, sees Benavidez's head split. By the way, watch the replay. The head splits. The first thing Benavidez does is touch it. Figueroa jumps on him. He blocks the initial contact. He backs out and he puts his hand up to touch it again. His head split wide open, John. He's bleeding. They should have, as soon as it happened, as soon as the blood trickles out, accidental headbutt, you call a halt. The doctor comes in, he checks it out, then the fight resumes. Davison lands that same right hand and crushes him. It's a fair victory. But in the moment of it just happened, his head split, there's no call. It's Benavidez reaching and touching it and being like, what happened? That causes him to now momentarily lapse of judgment, lapse of defense, hands out of position, bang, right hand folds him. Plus, he's probably minorly concussed from the head clash to begin with. They shouldn't have interviewed him afterwards. He was making no sense, and clearly he was concussed. He's very depressed. This was his huge moment. He's got his wife, Megan Levy, is ringside for, I guess she doesn't usually hang out ringside. This is a huge moment for the guy. He's clearly out of it, and you do feel for him. In that regard, I'd like to see the fight again. On the other hand, it's just like, I, I don't I don't overly care, right? Like, the flyweight division's in huge disarray right now. If Henry's not going to come back and defend the title, then what happens? What happens if we do this rematch and Joseph Benavidez wins? We have to do a trilogy. It's like these guys are fighting for an interim title that nobody cares about. There's nobody else in the division for the most part. Obviously, a few contenders here and there. It's just not it's just not interesting. They would have had to have lured Henry back down to at least fight the winner of this fight. I think Henry's done at flyweight. I think I think that's the whole basis of this is that 
they move on with a champion here. But it's ultimately, yeah, I think you look at this fight and it it is something that I, I don't know what the answer is. But when you have a guy missing weight, like, and you're going to go ahead with the fight. I mean, yes, the guy's going to get uh, fined from his purse and he did have to give up 30%. But, you, you know, you're going in there. It's like... The, this guy did not have to go through the same punishment that Benavidez did to get down to 125 pounds. And then you're going to go in there and it's like the scales are tipped and people don't remember that Tiago Alves missed weight. They just remember oh, that he knocked out Matt Hughes. Yeah. And that's, yeah. With that's a brutal kind of, to the head. And that's kind of how it goes down in history. You don't remember that a guy missed weight and what the circumstances were. Um, I, I didn't have so much a, a problem with, with the end because it's like, they cracked heads and it happened. It's like he had the, he had the visible cut on him, but it was to me, figure eight on him. Like it's those things are going to happen in a fight. You can run it back, certainly, but I think the larger question is like, what, what do you do in these cases where a guy misses weight and you're going to go ahead with the fight? It's either you, cause the guy that makes weight is cornered into what's he going to do i've i've just spent uh, i've just paid for an eight-week training camp this is the carrot at the end of that road and i'm going to say no i'm not going to fight even though you're essentially going in with a disadvantage here yeah i would say the smart play this is going to sound stupid but the smart play would be why wouldn't you miss weight you have a significant weight advantage and the 20 percent you give up yeah, it doesn't matter when you get a win bonus. You can, you're going to make more money once you make your win bonus as well as your show money and cut them off 20%. You look at Ray Borg, right? Ray Borg has a long history of missing weight. In the last fight, for example, he misses weight against Rodrigo Bontran by five pounds. He, sure, he may look sick on the scales, but ultimately it's like, oh, sorry, it's two and a half pounds. But once you rehydrate, he's a much bigger guy. And that's a grappler versus grappler fight. So now you got two grapplers going against each other. Bontran's a talented fighter. Unfortunately, giving up that weight advantage, not having to... He did something like you probably remember the story he hadn't eaten since Monday. He had fasted for like five straight days to make the weight. And yet his opponent comes in three pounds overweight. So that's a massive weight advantage. And it doesn't sound like much, but it is. And then because it's grappler versus grappler, it totally 100% favors towards um, Ray Borg, who's the heavier man. Now you look at Joseph Benavidez versus Davidson Figueredo. Listen, we all know Davidson Figueredo is a power puncher. We all know he has that ability to knock guys out. And with Joseph Benavidez, this guy is so unbelievably well-rounded as a mixed martial artist. How do you defeat him? It's like, oh, geez, you know what? He has been knocked down in the past. Maybe you can land that big punch. So the storyline going in here is a very interesting fight. Joseph Benavidez is faster. He's got the wrestling advantage. He's got maybe the grappling advantage, but he cannot get caught. Davidson Figueroa is giving up lots of advantages, but he's got the power. He's a bigger man. He's going to have to catch him. If you're bigger than me now, my takedowns are just less effective and holding you down less effective. And the punches that you're going to be able to land on me, a lot heavier. Like those are all advantages that go towards the guy that doesn't want to get peeled to the ground, right? So yes, him missing weight is an issue, but I, I can't say just because he missed weight, that it justifies a rematch. I think no contest. And in that regard, mm -hmm. sure, a rematch. But if you're saying clean victory, why run it back? It's the same thing with people saying, oh, you know, they should do Jessica and Josh versus Wei Li Zhang against. It's like, I don't understand why. Like, wasn't it a pretty lopsided victory the first time? Like, should she not have to fight a couple more times and work her way back up? Like, I'm not 100% seeing it. But because it's a quick nature, quick finish, oh, well, let's run it back. Like, I just don't know that that intrigue's there. You got to do a different fight. And in this case, Davidson Figueredo, who else could he possibly fight the weight class? Well, that's it. It's like match matchmaking is only as creative uh, as the options on the table. Like, that, that's what it comes down to. That's where you, you are, are going to get situations like that where it's automatic. We, we go back to a, a rematch so quick. Yeah, but they've got a serious problem, John. I mean, if you look at that last card, right? Uh, I'm not sure if you watched the entire event or not, but the very first fight on the card, it's the fight pass prelim most people are not going to see. 
is Ishmael Nordiev versus Sean Brady. Sean Brady's undefeated. He's an up-and-coming prospect. He's 27 years old. Nordiev's 26 years old. He's an up-and-coming prospect. He's coming off a win. Both guys are young, exciting, and have a bright future in the division. And they're the very first fight on a not, on, on an awful card, an atrocious card that just had one flyweight title fight on it to save the entire event for the most part. You're going to bury prospects like that way deep. So now if you try to build these guys up later, no one's really seen them. And that's the problem with flyweight. Because there wasn't this interest in flyweight, they never put these guys in showcase fights. They never put these guys on main cards. They never put these guys in main events. And so now as a result, there's just, there's no interesting fights for them. As well as when Henry Cejudo defeated Demetrius Johnson, they more or less said Henry just saved the division. Dimitri, yeah, he, Dimitri just killed the division. He just, he beat everybody. It was boring. Henry just bred new blood into it. And right away, they cut half of the division. And now it's like they have 14 fighters in the division. They're all ranked. Everybody's ranked in the division because there's not even enough guys to not be ranked. There's not even 15 uh, ranked and signed flyweight fighters in the UFC roster. So it's like, okay, well, if you don't do the Benavidez rematch and Henry's not coming back down, like, what do you realistically, Borg just missed weight. He's not going back to 125. Like, there's just, there's not really any intriguing fights. So. And, and with a guy like a Joseph Benavides, and we've seen this in the past with the UFC and how they've justified, um, you know, get, getting rid of guys, is that Benavides, I mean, he's had his latest chance at, well, we should say he had his chance at, at the title uh, on Saturday. But, I mean, this is a guy that's going to run through a lot of your contenders and has done that. I mean, this guy had won nine of 10 coming into this fight. So it's someone that has not been able to become a champion in, the, in that division and one where you're so starved for contenders. But Benavidez kind of has mowed through a lot of them. So you, you it's, it's a very difficult division to book when Benavidez for years has probably been a lot of people's number two or number three flyweight in the world. It just so happens that the number one guy has always been in the UFC and had that title. Yeah, that's his problem. If it wasn't for Demetrius Johnson, he'd be a first battle Hall of Famer legend. I mean, the guy was literally the number two best flyweight for a long period of time. And I believe he's 36 years old now. And everyone talks about speed and flyweighted speeds. Like the fact that he's even been able to compete at the highest level for this long is an accomplishment on its own. But the facts are he's now 0-3 in title fights. And if you're Benavides, what motivates you to keep fighting these young and up-and-coming contenders? Dude, six years this guy had to go between the second Demetrius fight to get to this part. Like, he had to go 9-1 and to get a third title fight. And now you're looking at the prospect of all the way back to square one. It's like when you get that far in Mario 3 (laughs) and then you die and you go back to World 1. You just turn off the game and you go home. Oh, it's, it's just like, I can't, I, I, I would, I would hate for the idea as a, as an elder fighter to be like, man, all the things that I had to do to get this spot. Now you hear that little carrot of like, well, maybe we do the rematch. That motivates you. I got to take this rematch because otherwise I don't have another two, three years to fight contenders. But if you're the UFC and you don't give them that rematch, here's the problem that you have now is that like you just mentioned, he defeats all the up and comers. He defeats all the number one contenders. So you're never going to be able to sell a fight. They cut Liz Carmouche on the same basis. It was like, we can't oh, John have this Fitch. woman. Jake Shields. They just win fights. Like, these winners. are incredible fighters. Like no one's disputing that. But they're but, killing our challenge. But it's stuff. like, you know, they've always said like the matchmakers, their job is to create challengers. And once a guy has, you know, they, John Fitch had his chance at the welterweight title. Jake Shields had his chance at the welterweight title. And Joseph Benavidez has had several at flyweight. It's like, where is this guy going to be a champion? And if not, I mean, if he can mow through the division, it's like, it's just like cannibalizing our potential contenders. It, yeah. it, it's difficult. There isn't an easy answer to it. Well, in Liz Carmucha's case, she fought for the 135-pound title, comes down, fights for the 125-pound title. And I know it was a terrible fight, but she went five rounds with Shevchenko. When you look at the, the other two fights, Jessica I and obviously uh, Shevchenko's last go at it, 
It's like there's something to be said for Liz Carmouche. She's durable. She gives opponents rounds. She's one of the better grapplers in the division. Why would you not want to keep her? But that's all it is. It's just you don't want her defeating your Caitlin Chukagians of the world because then you're not going to be able to throw them in that title fight. You're just trying to build contenders. When you have a division that's so light with contenders, it becomes just like UFC back in the day. Like, oh, Dan Hardy's literally won two fights in the division. Let's give him a title fight against GSP and we'll sell it and we'll sell it and we'll sell it. But the, the more talented the division gets, that's when it's interesting. That's when people say, geez, you know what? I want to see Tony Ferguson versus Khabib Nurmagomedov because they're the best guys. And beyond that, I want to see Usman and I want to see Colby Covington and I want to see all these guys that dominate, even Yoel Romero. Yoel Romero's coming off a loss, but it's like, it, these are the best guys fighting. Benavides and Davidson Figueroa, they're the best guys fighting. But because there's nobody else that's really in their league right now, it's like, it just, it really becomes a moot division. Uh, when you look at, at Figueroa, 24 hours out from that fight, you've missed weight and the big discussion is like, it's very much like this is just such a great story potentially for Joseph Benavides. Like you have to wonder with, with Figueroa, like I'm going into this fight where my win might eliminate my job. Like that's not the craziest conspiracy theory to have if you're one of the flyweights that I'm sure the flyweights were rooting for Benavides in this fight for that very reason. It's a weird, yeah. it was a really weird situation going into Saturday. See, I feel like he'd be okay because he's a massive 125er anyways and he missed weight for the fight. So like if, if the flyweight division was gone tomorrow, he's one of the few guys that could just fight out 135 pounds. But the, would look he at that a, division. That's, right. Would he be a world like, champion you're just diving into pounds? with no. sharks. It's but, the best division, in my opinion. I know some people say 55, some people say 170, but 135 pounds is just absolutely talented. Did you see the new fight that just got booked today? Oh, which one? I, you, you were, uh, you were delayed on your, on your way over here. Piotr Jan, Marlon Marias. Yes, love June it. 13 in Kazakhstan. In Ka- yeah, I saw that they were going to Kazakhstan, so that's a good fight to put on there. I- I personally think Jan's the best guy in the division. I think he just needs a chance Dude, to prove it, but so many good contenders. Jan with the tweet of the day responding to that says, Loser fights Henry Cejudo for the title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I don't think he speaks English, but whoever runs his Twitter account is fire. Like, all he does is call guys up. But when you consider this is a division that has Henry fighting Jose Aldo for whatever reason, you have Marlon Marais, you have Peter Yan, you have Aljamain Sterling, who's on a killer run. Corey Sanhagen. Corey Sanhagen. Yes! Corey Sanhagen's massive. Pedro Munoz is a very solid contender, and that's all... Leaving out, Dominic Cruz may never come back, and Cody, Cody Garbrandt, Garbrandt is it's so just, talented. He just he's had some. He's I, I'm had some glad he's been away for this time. The best thing he could do, like, he, but when like you those are some bad six knockouts. or seven contenders, it's like, and these guys are all world class, and you can see them all fighting each other. It's like, wow, and 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 imagine now, by the time this is all sorting themselves, it's two years, and TJ Dillashaw comes back. Like, man, this is a great division. There's a lot of intriguing fights to be made, and I think that's what this is. Ten pounds higher than 125. Why is there so many good fighters at 135 and nobody at 125? It's just the way things have played out. And the UFC has realized that and they're marketing accordingly. I mean, when was the last time they put a, a title fight on free television, right? It's just look at these guys. Here's a title fight. You watch this event and we're just looking to keep them stagnant or keep them in a gray zone until Henry figures out what he wants to do. I would agree with you, though. He's always had trouble making weight. And I don't think now that he's a rich man, a two-time world champion, clearly as good at 135, you know, can hang with the best at that division. Why would you come back down? It makes no sense. Yeah. So the bantamweight division just looks awesome at the moment. Um, Title fight aside that we have coming up. I think like the, the point about it though, it's like, I'm still intrigued by the fight itself. It's like Jose Haldo fighting for the championship at 135. Not the fight that I think almost anyone would have made, but that, that's what's happening. I don't think anybody would have made that fight other than Dana White and Jose Aldo's manager, like uh, Andre Pedneris. Like I just don't, 
I don't see how you're going to be able to sell this. Not that Aldo's that big name and coming down to 135, but like he's not looked good in a long time. People remember him lately for the thrashings he took against Max Holloway. No, the thrashings like- he took against Alexander Volkanovsky comes down, loses, mind you, and now gets a title fight. Like it, it really makes no sense. It doesn't on the, t- like you and I followed this enough. Like you know that there are certain guys that have currency that they are going to be allotted concessions like this. Jose Aldo has never been this monster on pay-per-view. Like, his his name is not, like, it does not mean, like, gigantic business that augments, like, just jumping over all of these contenders. Is it a great, like, hook for the Brazilian market? Yes. But, like, what are we talking about? Like, uh, like the live gate here? Like, that's ultimately what we're disrupting all of this for. Um, I, I just think at this point, it's like the UFC almost doesn't have to be doing these kinds of fights where it's... Or perhaps they just feel that there is such a built-in audience that we can put whatever we want together. But it's a it's a puzzling fight to me of like how you arrive at this with like a, a solid argument. Like I will take if, if a guy leapfrogs other contenders, but he means that much more business. It's like you can disagree with that, but you have to you at least see the point that they're coming at, even if you disagree with it. I don't even so much see it in this one. Listen, if Conor McGregor jumps anybody, nobody bats him. You eye. understand that. If, if Ronda comes back and jumps over everybody, you don't bat him. If Conor went up to a fucking middleweight one day and they give him a title fight automatically, it's, it's like, that's okay, I understand it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird, but I understand business. it. In the case of Jose Aldo, it's like, yeah, he was the biggest star when he was this, you know, Brazilian monster who was killing everybody at 145 pounds. But those days are long gone. I don't know if that market is is rich enough to support one guy. Like, I mean, when you see a McGregor fight and you have all of the UK supporting room, you have all of Ireland, or when George was fighting and you had all of Canada, it's like that made that made a boost. In Brazil's case, it's like, man, they've got plenty of talented fighters. They're not a country with all their eggs on one guy, the way we were with George, the way Ireland might be with Conor McGregor. It's like, we have lots of guys that we can that we can support. And Jose Aldo's our, you know, faded Brazilian legend. And similar to the way uh, Little Nog is having his retirement fight coming up. It's like, at some point, you got to... You, you got to make that choice of like, okay, my best days are behind me. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go off in the sunset. I didn't think he looked terrible against Marlon Moraes, but I did think he actually lost a fight. I, I did too. That's like not was, the most popular was... of opinions and it was a close fight, but I didn't think he looked that good. I think he got angry at some point. He started throwing some punches. He was missing a lot of them. And maybe there was an aura of Aldo's trying to fight and this other guy's backing up. But it's like, that's what a fight is. It was a smart fight. And then Dana's always done this, but this one rubbed me extra the wrong way is that people come out and say, I don't really like this fight. I don't understand why this fight's being made. How does a guy that's lost three of his last five, who's on two-fight losing streak, who's winless in this division, leapfrog all of those contenders we talked about? And he just pulls the classic, don't buy it. I don't care what you think. Don't watch it. It's like, you know what? I think people might actually take your advice to heart this time. Like Bellator's on free that night, and they got a pretty good card. (laughs) Exactly, and it's a pretty good card. And like at some points, like I just I don't care enough. And with Henry, Henry's got a cool little gimmick, I guess, but it's very fringy. And I see a lot of people going the other way and just being like, I don't care about what this guy has to say. He's not trying to fight the number one contenders. He's trying to fight women, and he's trying to fight Jose Aldo. So like, I don't understand what his gimmick is. I don't understand how he's trying to promote himself as much watch tv but like part of me wants to see him get ko'd it's just i don't think aldo's the guy to do it i henry beats him and then hopefully one of these top contenders are gonna be the guy that dethrone him but uh i i get it you got to do something if you're a colby covington you're a a middle of the pack guy from oregon with no personality salvage these guys careers to do something henry's the same way but he's an olympic gold medalist you know he's a he's a tremendous fighter it's like you would love to see people 
appreciate him for less than the theatrics. Unfortunately, when you weigh 125 pounds and you're five foot six, it's like you got to do something. And that's what he's doing. The, the other part with, with Jose Aldo is just the, you know, you look at the, the possibility, like a loss here to Henry Cejudo. It's like, man, you've just moved weight classes and you're thrown into the fire immediately. Like, I don't know where you go from there after the fact. Like, here's a guy that could have had a lot of fun fights at bantamweight. He's just had one weight cut down there. Look good against Marlon Marais, but let's let's see like somebody else like in that that vicinity. And it's just you throw him to the championship fight right away and a potential loss. And then it's like, then what? It's like you're you're back at square one and it's you don't even get this like little journey of Jose Aldo at, at Bantamweight to, to yeah. go anywhere. Well, and here's one for you too, right? We just talked about the fact that the flyaway fight, Figueredo versus Benavides, at least the title was vacant. So it's like Figueredo can't win it, but Benavides could. If Benavides was the champion, it was just a non-title fight, whereas that the challenger knocks you out and you're still the champion because you missed weight. Like, that's a bad way of going about it. I mean, that te- definitely takes off a little bit of the shine off your champ. Now you look at Jose Aldo. Jose Aldo was a big 145 pounder. He always had trouble cutting weight to 145 pounds. He announces this move, John, to go to 135. He's, a, he's on the back nine of his career. He's getting older. And he's never been a guy that cuts this massive amount of weight. Nobody and their grandmother believes that he's going to make weight pictures start surfacing he looks gaunt his face looks sick his body is drained we all think the fight's gonna get canceled there's no way he makes it and he gets on the scale and he makes weight are we that certain he's gonna go do it again are we that certain that imagine he missed weight imagine he came in as 136 and a half or 137 we just talked about it is henry gonna say no he's the one that called this man out so yeah he's gonna fight him but like what does it mean it means nothing it's a joke of a fight why not have given one of those 135 contenders who you know is chomping at the bit dude you know that, that would be like the, the ultimate karma in all this is jose jose aldo misses weight they go ahead with the fight <laughs> aldo <laughs> knocks him out yeah 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 <laughs> the bantamweight title picture is just on hold because we got to run this one back and that's the problem now you have to run it back so imagine being sterling or imagine <laughs> being peter yon or imagine being all these guys who are like what the what is going on here like what why is what's the point of having rankings john chaos rankings that's all, I, all be, I want out of this sport is chaos things. cody that's what i want i want insanity uh that's why uh this friday i know i'm sure you're a fan of this the open scoring experiment that they're doing on the invicta the phoenix yeah. Rising show. Yeah, Kansas. Uh, they've got a bantamweight, a one night bantamweight tournament. Um, uh, maybe I'm, uh, I'm assuming here, but w- what do you think about like this open scoring experiment? I like that they're trying it on an Invicta card. And to me, it's like the most appealing part of this, this card is just to see how this is executed in, in practice. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. I think that that's part of fighting is that I you don't totally re- spoke for you. You don't, you don't really know what's going on until it's just like, okay, what's the decision going to be? And yeah, there's a lot of bad decisions, but by telling people the scores, that doesn't change anything. First of all, imagine being in the arena watching Diego Sanchez versus Ross Pearson and then having them anna- announce to you that Diego Sanchez has won the last two rounds. If you're Ross Pearson in his corner, why bother even fighting? Why not just go home? Clearly, they're going to cheat me. And you know what? That was in New Mexico, so the fans might not care. But imagine being in any arena where it's just like a bad score is announced. You're going to get a hostile environment. Now you're going to get a hostile environment right off the bat. So that's one problem, right? Well, my my concern there is definitely that a, a, a judge that is, you know, wavering and here's just a chorus of boos for his scorecard is going to be watching that next round and their judgment is going to be impaired because they are going to be watching knowing that may, it, We've seen rounds where it's like, listen, judging is very hard to do. Like where we, we get like these, man, razor close rounds. And then by the end of five rounds, that razor close round, we were debating in our head in round one. Oh, of course it was for this guy, because that's what I've mentally given a 10-9 to. 
And if you're watching this, you know, and you're you're on the fence about a round, you do have to go 10-9 someone. And then you hear a reaction like that. It's like, okay, I owe this guy now. And I'm watching this fight from one perspective. And that's, that's to me, the, the human side of judging that yeah, so, is so, going to exist. So that changes kind of how the judges think. But imagine the fighter as well. It's just like they announce you lost that round. It's like, man, I took him down three times in that round. So are they, are they not scoring takedowns? Well, maybe I shouldn't try to take him down anymore. But it's like, that's your game. That's how you fight. You also have the element of like in close fights, your corner's telling you, Listen, that was a close round. You need to go for it this next round. If they announce John Pollock is up over Cody Saftik 2 nothing going into the third, why would you engage me? Why would you not just run away? You know how many bad third rounds you're going to be given if you announce the open scoring prior to the round and the other guy's up 2 nothing. There's nothing to gain from fighting this man. Now, if I think it's 1-1, and I think I need to win this third round. I'm going to dig deep. I'm going to dig deep and I'm going to go for it. Likewise, well, you being down to nothing as well. Now, now and you've I'm, got a win bonus. Yeah. Jeez, I'm I just, can't win on the cards. I'm just going to swing bombs at this guy. But I think you also have a, a more so of a thing that I'm fighting a good fight. We're going back and forth. This is close. I know it's going to go to decision. I think I did enough to win at least the first or second round. And then they announce it's 2 nothing. It's like demoralize it's like like you you're going out there like i'm gonna put it on and win this round now it's just like i have to ko him so now you're not fighting a smart fight you're not fighting your fight you're fighting the fight of just like eh might as well just go out there and kill or be killed and then what you get ko'd in the process and then everyone laughs at you like it's just it's not a great this goes back to boxing boxing tried open scoring it did not work and the best example that i ever seen is samuel peters Going into the ninth round, eighth round just concluded. Going into the ninth round, they announce the scores. He does the math, realizes he can't win, and then just tells his corner, I'm done. <laughs> and they're just like, what do you mean you're done? He's like, I can't win the fight unless I KO him. I'm not going to KO him. I'm done. I don't want to fight anymore. And he just retired on his stool. It's like I could see a lot of people going that way. I could also see a lot of people being bitter. I could also see a lot of, who knows, you know, the John Jones versus uh, Reyes fight. If they announce it 2-2 going into the fifth, it's just like, okay, man, this is, this is, this is big. Maybe, maybe that reinvigorates Reyes, who thinks he's up 3 nothing. who thinks he's up 3-1 going into the, the fifth. Maybe he thinks, maybe by announcing it, no, because then you announce the one guy that's got Jones up 3-1, and then you start booing, and then you get pissed off, and it's just like... I know judging's bad, and I think the way to fix it, maybe there's no way to fix it, but you gotta do like what Glory does. Go five judges instead of three. Or maybe experiment more with that, having the judges in the back in a sound booth, that they're not sitting cage side, and they're not, you know, hearing all of the, the corner talk, and they're not, like Greg Jackson used to always say, I can persuade a judge, just about, this guy's not, he's stalled, he's not hitting you, you're winning this round. And then this guy's corner said, geez, you know what, this was a close round. Jackson knows what he's talking about, and he thinks his guy's clearly up. Well, yeah, that's a Jackson round. It's like, keep these guys in the back they have monitors give them three angles if they want but keep them in the back where there's no noise where there's nothing that can be and then in the case of uh solis the other day it's just like man he he has like there's a such a conflict of interest there it's like why was this man even allowed to judge james Krause versus trevin giles in the first place it's like he shouldn't have been there and so they need to look into that more yeah. than they need to look into open scoring or, to me it's like you're always see, but, like you're always going to have like the examples like a Joe Solis that it's just like indefensible uh, for some of the cards that that guy turned in that night, which were horrendous. I-, I think by and large, I think judges, if we look at the greater whole, get it right more than they get it wrong. But and, and I think this would really be-, be put into focus like 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 Joe Rogan, just when there's a bad call, he is on those judges for the entire night. I I listen to Joe Rogan's commentary. It's like if this guy was doing live scoring, which I'm not a fan of commentators having to do a live score. Dude, he he'd have some wild scores when you see some of the the fights he's calling, and it's like 
I'm watching a different fight than this guy is watching. Like judging is, is hard. And the problem is that there isn't like a depth, like of the quality judges that are out there. What would you say? It's under 15 in the entire world. For sure. And I think like the ABC is apparently like going to now be providing like, here's the list of the most qualified referees, qualified judges, sending them to like UFC, Bellator. So when you go to these international events or you're going to non-commissioned areas, the like this is on you. Like these are the recommended judges and referees. So if you're going outside of these top recommendations, that's kind of on you. And I just I just want to get away from the days where we're going to, you know, a, a Texas and suddenly it's just and, and Joe Solis, like what people might not be aware of, like this is a guy that's like not just some guy that's like he's a BJJ black belt. He's a BJJ <laughs> black belt. Yeah, I, I mean, the credentials are there, but Sometimes credentials doesn't equal a guy that is going to be qualified to be a judge and certainly didn't have the regularity of it when you look at like how sporadic this guy is judging at, at a high level. Yeah, but the other thing there is that so you look at that fight and he scores all three rounds for Trevin Giles, but the first round is James Krause on Trevin Giles' back for four minutes. So it's like, how could the BJJ black belt of all people have scored the round for Trevin Giles? And so like, okay, he's a BJJ black belt under Trevin Giles' jiu-jitsu coach. So, like, they're both from Texas. There's a clear conflict of interest. And you're where you're supposed to put that, he just, allowed, you know, decided not to. So, yeah, yeah. Could you prevent that? That was sure. really great reporting by Aaron Bronstetter. Absolutely great reporting by Aaron. Aaron's quickly emerged himself as, like, one of the go-to guys. Like, he's he's very passionate. He's very hardworking. He comes up with great stories. And he keeps things interesting. How ways to talk to Dana, ways to interview these guys. I mean, I think with the MMA media, it's like you get a lot of the same thing, a lot of the same thing, a lot of the same thing. How are you going to differentiate yourself and kind of make that name for yourself? And Aaron's doing a fantastic job. Pursuing a story like this is a great thing. That's real journalism. That's one thing that we've gotten away from. There's a story here. Why did this guy score it like that? I'm going to do some digging i'm gonna do some research i'm gonna find the story you find the story that's what i like to see not just speculation of oh diego sanchez is training with a crazy guy it's like what's that crazy guy's story what you know i want to hear those opinions i want to hear kind of like that deeper end of it i feel like bronstein is doing a, an awesome job with that kind of going in again that but in solis it's like okay maybe that's just like a you know, an isolated event. He had a personal interest with the fighter and, you know, we can do a better job of cutting out that. It's like, what yeah. you can't do a better job. Let's look of, at his other cards that night. Is if I say these are the three best judges that we have available, John, that can come work this event. And this guy, you know, he was an NCAA All-American. You know, he's a national champion at the D2 level. He knows exactly what he's looking at. He's a fight fan. This guy, he's a former kickboxing champion. He knows exactly what he's looking at. This guy here is a BJJ black belt. He watches lots of fights. He knows exactly what he's looking at. These guys are the most qualified guys. But it's like those guys are going to prefer their base, right? If it's a kickboxing match and the guy's beating him up kickboxing and he gets taken down, yeah, but you know what? He landed the better shot standing. And, you know, it, I, I think he won because you have that idea of like, if that's your base, that's your preference. That's so crazy that we still have that today. Yeah, know? because it's 2020. But I would say that the judging and the refereeing now is as bad as it's ever been. I mean, like how many blown calls and not just judges, referees are equally as responsible. It's oh, like, oh, this past weekend, there was a brutal one. Yeah, a, a brutal one, right? And, and I, I just feel like, oh man, did you think the guy was hurt? Like, have you not watched a fight? Like, did you talk to these guys beforehand? Like the guy's still standing? Like, there's so many different avenues that you could look at and be like, how did they come to the conclusion to stop this fight? But it's not just like it's this one event. It's every event. And I would say to this one event, yes, the bad refereeing in this one in particular is uh, Ian Kudalaba versus Magomed Ankalaev, for sure, for sure. But for my money's worth, the missed headbutt call was a big deal to me. Not because I thought, oh, Joseph, I'm rooting for Joseph Benavides and I have a financial interest in Joseph Benavides. It's nothing like that. It's everything to do with an illegal infraction happened. 
unintentional, no doubt about it, it was unintentional, but that requires a call, right? If he would have accidentally kicked him in the groin, right? And he put both of his hands down to grab his cup and he ate a right hand that folded him in the face, it would have been a no contest because it was like, oh, a foul incurred. I needed to stop it real quick to but, check. But that was things. very one way. Like the, the cracking of heads, like it very much looked like Benavides was entering with his head and it just it seemed like his fault. Maybe and, that's part of the reason they didn't call. And it. I think it's, it's, it's difficult to assign blame just to one party, whereas a low blow, it's, it, it's very cut and dry. Fair. I think with the head clash, though, it's like, okay, Benavidez led with the head. He dipped with the head. He led. It's his fault that a clash of head occurred. But regardless, an illegal move occurred. You have to stop it. If if he would have clashed Figueredo's head and Figueredo's head was busted open clean right away, would they have called it to look at Figueredo's head? Sure, they would have. But Benavidez lands. And by the way, it's not like they clash heads and then he gets hit right away and folds. They clash heads. He goes to hit him. He backs away. Now there's a moment. And when you look at the slow motion replay, the second they clash heads, it's like a faucet. Blood spews the blood out, and you can see Mergliata's eyes are on the cut. Like that he, replay was frightening. He fully acknowledges that they just clashed heads, right? When when Benavidez goes in, he looks hesitant to stop it for a second. Like, oh, man, it was a head clash. They announced the starting of the event, John. This is, this is the last thing I'll mention about that. It kind of irked me. New rules in effect. Instant replay is available. They didn't even bother. Nobody even cared. Nobody even really... They mentioned the headbutt, but nobody mentioned the headbutt like that's what caused this finish, which is what caused the finish. And I'm not saying if the fight goes another three, four, five rounds, however many rounds it goes, the distance, whatever, maybe Figueroa lands that punch anyways. I'm just saying in that particular instance. Do you remember Matt Hughes versus Frank Trigg too? Yes. Trigg hits Hughes. It's an illegal move. He hits him in the balls of the knee. Hughes puts his hands down, looks at the ref like, oh man, Trigg lights him up with a three-piece. He's got him hurt. He takes him down, he takes his back, can't choke him out. Most legendary moment in UFC history, Hughes carries him across the octagon, then chokes him out with a rear naked choke. But it's like, if you wouldn't have caught it, right, and Trigg was the world champion, and you had instant replay at your availability. Might not have been Dana White's favorite fight ever. (laughs) He wouldn't have been in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Um, Looking ahead to this weekend, we have UFC 248, uh, Israel Adesanya. The official pronunciation, as said by the man himself, uh, against uh, Yoel Romero, one of your all-time favorites, Yoel Romero. Yeah, And one of of the greatest uh, pre-fight interviews of all time prior to Lyoto Machida in June of 2015. Yeah, exactly. He's just like, if you want to win, you have to sacrifice. When you have family, you have to be willing to. And he cries. It's all, it's all in uh, Spanish. But, uh, I, I spent 20 minutes before you got here trying to find that clip and I just could not. I was yeah, you gotta go to like, you have, with the event and it's like top five media moments. <laughs> and it's in there and it is absolutely, oh, when you should, imagine having to fight you, this man now. Oh uh, man, that was Co- absolutely Cody hilarious. found that clip back when that fight happened and it was like, has been our joke ever since with the all Romero. But I mean, th- it's, it's a fight that, you know, th- this was one where, yes, Yoel Romero, coming off the losses to Robert Whitaker, to Paulo Costa, but not a whole lot of resistance to this fight. Number one, I think it's a really compelling matchup. Second, Paulo Costa is hurt. And and many people thought saw that second Robert Whitaker fight as, you know, extremely close, if not Romero winning it. I scored that fight for Whitaker, but it was very, very close. I really, like, this is a, ultimately what you're looking for is a champion to be put in a position where he is facing a big challenge. And I think that's the case on Saturday. Yeah, and Yoel Romero presents a big challenge for anybody uh, at any time. So I think him against anybody is going to be intriguing. The fact that they're giving him a title shot, I'm on board because this is, it's an appealing challenger for the champion. We're trying to build up Israel Adesanya. 
We're trying to build this man up. We're trying to build Izzy. You know, the UFC is clearly behind him. They see this is a potential star for us. McGregor, you know, he's going to fight a couple times a year. John Jones, we have trouble selling pay-per-views with him. Israel Adesanya is becoming a star. He's undefeated. He's got a, a sweet style. He's got a good name. He's good at marketing himself. Perfect. We want this guy to go on. And then Yo Romero, he's the fight fan's darling. Every hardcore fight fan knows Yo Romero. Casual fight fans know Yo Romero. He always puts on a very intriguing fight. But beyond all that, not only is it just two top guys that's going to be a fun fight, it's like you have that striker versus wrestler um, clash of styles. And I think that's super interesting. Yo Romero is an Olympic silver medal. He's a legitimate Olympic wrestler. He's, whereas he does definitely strike a lot in his UFC fights. Like you look at the Robert Whitaker fight. He takes him down three times in the first fight. He takes him down four times in the second fight. I mean, his wrestling's on point. He took down Chris Weidman twice when they fought. His wrestling's definitely on point. Which he, go which he had really gotten down? away from for, for quite a while. And that's that's where this fight is so intriguing to me. If Yo Romero goes in with a game plan of just, I'm just going to take this man down, that's a problem with Israel Adesanya. Being long and lengthy like that, it doesn't generally help your takedown defense. You know, you can get this guy up easily against the cage. You can pull the hips out. And once you get on top of him, it's going to be significantly harder for a man with long limbs to explode and get up rather than a shorter fighter. So the game plan seems set there. But it's like Yo Romero doesn't follow a game plan. He tends to go out there and and throw strikes and like he doesn't i wouldn't say it's a cardio issue it's that when he does do anything it's like it's full blown like yeah. everything's in it he throws his strikes at full capacity he moves full capacity and then there's a lot of lulls in the action i feel like that's why i personally feel itasanya will eventually win this fight is that those lulls in the action he's going to be taking a lot of damage but i also just don't have faith in him to go out with the game plan of just wrestle 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 he's owing to entitled fights this is obviously a huge moment for him but at 42 years old it's more so a fun fight a great last chance for yoel and we're trying to bring bring up israel adesanya build this guy into a, somebody that can sell pay-per-views for us somebody that can we can market again undefeated good looking guy talks extremely well he's got that flamboyant style there's tons that we can do with this guy he looked the kelvin gaslam fight was iffy in t- in the sense of like can we put all of our eggs behind this guy into one basket but him pulling through the way he did in the fifth round and like, it's like, man, he's, he's a real fighter. That's a gut check performance. It's a good performance. Going against Robert Whitaker and absolutely blowing him out. It's like, this guy's for real. And now if he's to do something like that with Yoel Romero, imagine he goes out and takes out Yoel in one single round. This guy's a bona fide star. Everyone's going to love this guy. They already do. But it's like, that's just going to be a huge moment. And if he doesn't knock out Yoel, and I hope he doesn't in the first round, it's like, you're going to get a hard fight. You're going to get a good fight because Yoel brings it. And Yoel is always dangerous because you see him in fights with like the Chris Weidman fight or the Luke Rockhold fights. Like he literally just needs one moment. And once he lands on you, it's going to do a tremendous amount of damage. Izzy's undefeated in MMA, but he has been knocked down in kickboxing. We have seen him not really get exploited in the wrestling by anybody so far. It's like there's a lot of intriguing elements to this fight. And I think that you don't hear anybody complain about why is Joel Romero coming off a loss at 42 years old, 0-2 in title fights. Nobody complains about that because it's like this is a fight people want to see. This is a fight that makes sense and it should it should be very entertaining. And I think as well, you have to ask yourself the question is that after 10 rounds with Robert Whitaker, that war with Paulo Costa is... Like, what are we going to see a diminished version of Yoel Romero, like 42 years old, like like age catches up to everybody. It's it's been in pursuit of Yoel Romero for a long time and has yet to catch him. But I, I think that's another b- big question in, in all of this. Like, certainly Adesanya had those, those five rounds with, with Calvin Gastelum. But uh, in comparison to what Romero has gone through in the past three years, it's uh, and, and the guys also had 
injuries in that time period as well. Yes, and I hate to be the guy that sounds like the broken record, but he's also had weight cutting issues. So it's like you just don't know what you're going to get. It's like the the holy trinity. Yeah, you literally got to wait till they get on. Which of these could go wrong from the drop down menu? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's missed weight in the past, and people have uh, people used to accuse him as being a cheater. Oh, there's grease gate. Oh, there's stool gate. Oh, there's the weight cutting issues. Like, oh, there's the he grabbed the cage against uh, a Jacare, which I thought he lost a Jacare fight. But again, it's just that that cage grab was like momentum. Shifting like that was a huge was everything. The Tim Kennedy, uh, Tim Kennedy's got him out, and he just decides to hang out on his stool. Like, like this guy has, for as entertaining as he's been, there's just been so many weird moments as well. And that's why you get the impression that's like, okay, if you're the UFC, it's like, well, what other contender can we throw in there with Israel Adesanya right at this moment? It's like, you know what, middleweight is a talented division, but. We need some challenges right now. Yol's the guy. Yol's the guy. We're not going to let him fight at 43, 44. He wants to fight. Izzy wants to fight. And they're doing a great job of engaging each other online and talking. And now fans are getting involved. And now people that don't think Israel can wrestle, they really want Yol to get this fight. And people that are fully sold on Izzy and they want him to prove, they want him to prove that he can do it against the best wrestling division. So now you have both camps kind of going back and forth. You have the fans getting an involvement. You have people discussing the fight. That's what you want. If Benavidez versus Figueroa got uh, booked again. It's like how many people are being like calling up their friends and talking and going on forums and, and discussing like what do you think is going to happen this time? It's like probably the same thing that happened last time. But it means it's way faster. He'll land three punches for every one punch that Figueredo lands, but the one punch that Figueredo lands is going to do a significant more amount of damage, and it's going to be pro- either a quick either a finish for Figueredo or, or a five rounds of back and forth in which people don't appreciate the flyweights. I guess I don't know because you hit a guy three times and he doesn't even budge one inch. It's not as exciting. You watch any other weight class, it's like you hit a guy with a three-peach combination. You know, oh, geez, he's hurt. Oh, he's bleeding. Oh, there's some significant damage. It's easier to follow, I guess. I think that's the problem with flyweights to casual fans. It's like because there's no damage being incurred, you take the guy down 10 times, so what? It's like nothing happened. I don't think they gravitate towards it. You know, one of the the byproducts of this move to ESPN Plus in, in the U.S. with their pay-per-views is that we're no longer seeing like like pay-per-view numbers reported by Dave Meltzer. It's kind of these like outside of, you know, the Conor McGregor, Donald Cerrone fight where we saw just the impact it had on ESPN Plus. It was enormous. Huge. But I mean, that has always been part and parcel with how we view emerging stars and is somebody a star and Israel Adesanya to me he's kind of the first star of the ESPN plus era that you know we we don't see a number attached to like th- this fight on Saturday we're probably not going to know how many buys it does and it's just an interesting way of how we're now viewing stars but we don't have such a big metric like pay-per-view buys to associate with them and you, you would assume that Israel Adesanya would be a pretty healthy draw by by now, especially after the Whitaker fight. Yeah, absolutely. But because like you're saying, it's, it's a little bit different that we're not getting the exact numbers and we don't know the correlation. And so again, when you look at, remember when CM Punk made his UFC debut in Chicago, it's like it was a 400,000 selling pay-per-view, I think. And it's like how much of that was attributed to him as opposed to the main event. So this is kind of the same thing. It's like you have an awesome fight with Israel Adesanya versus Yoel Romero. It's a title fight. But you also have Another title fight is your co-feature between Joanny and Jacek, who at least certainly at one time was a star, versus Weili Zhang, who if the if the talks that are about, you know, the, the Chinese supporters and, and that side of the industry getting involved in her, she herself is going to sell this pay-per-view huge. So it's like how how much if you saw that it was a six hundred thousand or a seven hundred or eight hundred thousand selling pay-per-view. UFC be high five, and this is a big pay per view. We're sold on this, but like how the market much of that- in China is just so enormous. Like I don't think people realize how big like Zhang Weili could be um, in terms of you know becoming just 
like a transformative star in that part of the world. I, I think absolutely. I think if you're the UFC, we need to grow this star. We this is a this is a market that we've wanted to get in for a long time, and we've tried to do a lot of endeavors there. We had it, it, we had UFC events in China; they never really took off. We signed a pile of UFC fighters that were from China. They mostly fanned out over time. They just couldn't really couldn't keep up. To have a Chinese-born star is huge for them. This is what they want. This is this is the exact way that we're going to be able to get into this market. It just so happens that she's a wrecking machine with a with an unbelievably fun style. Who's finishing opponents? Who's now a legitimate world champion? Who's once defeated? I mean, she lost her pro debut and is undefeated since then. It's like there's a lot to be excited for, and now we're seeing this emergence of other Chinese athletes are seeing that and they're getting involved. And now all of a sudden becoming a, a wushu and sanda specialist, which is what you, what you grew up doing. It's like they're switching. They're doing BJJ. They're wrestling now. Like I would say in the next 20 years, you're going to see lots of Chinese champions. It's just that you need that 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 flag bear, that front runner to kind of go and, and open it up. And I think that's exactly what the UFC has here in Zhang. And I think that they're going to do a good job of I wouldn't say protecting her. They're going to give her tough fights. She's a champion. She has this, this is a very fights. hard fight for her and this on is Saturday. A, and this is a very tough fight. But I feel like the upside for the UFC would be if Adesanya wins and Zhang wins, they will never fight on the same pay-per-view card ever again. They'll be headlining their own pay-per-view cards. And that's what we need. We don't need a star. We need three or four stars. When we sold this thing for a billion dollars, we had Jones, we had McGregor, we had Rosie. McGregor is only going to fight once or twice a year, maybe at most. And the way his business is now set up, we don't profit as much as we used to. Rousey's gone. Jones, because of the steroid test and the numerous unexciting fights, I mean, the Anthony Smith fight and the Thiago Silva fight and, or Thiago Santos, sorry. It's like, eventually it's just like, I don't care as much. I'm not going to go. A million people aren't buying John Jones' pay-per-views. You need this next generation of stars, people that aren't in their mid-30s, people that are, that are on their way up and... They have two of them on this card. I would say that this is probably going to be a successful event for the UFC, but it would certainly be a lot more successful if their desired champions walked away, still with the belt around their waist, and you can keep this momentum going. Yeah, and obviously, you know, Adesanya, like, I'm picking him to win this fight, but not getting too far ahead of ourselves is that the amount of questions that will come out after this, of course, what we always go to is what is next for these guys. Paulo Costa is waiting, but ultimately, like, what do you see... Uh, Israel Adesanya two years from now where he's competing at I see one would have to think that the direction that the UFC would like him to go is 205 pounds I mean the fight with him John, John Jones it kind of sells itself in that geez they're both you know they're both at the top of the game they're both world champions they've actually got a little bit of feud going they have similar body types and that they're both long rangy strikers for example the thing that right now that I don't want to see the fight is like John Jones knows how to wrestle, man. Like John Jones is an excellent grappler. And I don't know that Israel Adesanya knows how to do that. However, the fights like Yoel Romero, these fights are what's going to show us exactly how good this man is. And mm-hmm. like you said, two years from now, he's 18 and 0 right now. Two years from now, he's 22 and 0 taking on a 28 and 0 John Jones. I know he's got a, he's got a disqualification in the mix, but it's like, yeah, yeah. Why isn't this the fight to put? But again, it's when you, when you clear out your division, and there's no more intriguing fights left for you, people just always clamor to the idea of you jumping up. Demetrius Johnson owes it to the fans to fight at 135. <laughs> Doesn't, by the way. And the same thing was just like, okay, you know, if if Khabib beats Tony Ferguson and Khabib has just won all these fights, well, well I want to see him fight Kamaru Usman or Colby Companies. Like, he doesn't owe that to you. He doesn't have to jump away. It's, it's the only... And Jones is facing the same thing. Well, he should go to heavyweight. Why? Why should he go to heavyweight? So I don't think Israel Adesanya should go to 205, but I can see that being the direction of just like, hey man, legacy, legacy, and super fight. Max Holloway, the stupidest thing he ever did was take that fight against Dustin Poirier at 55 while he was the champ. So it's... Like, I understand it. Like, it's uh, like, I understand people. They, they just want to see these guys challenge themselves to such a degree. But like, I just, I always equate it to like, you know, you've got an all-star second baseman. It's like, yeah, but 
play third. You know what I mean? It's Dude, like you're really good at it's like you're so good here. Go ahead, like handicap, handicap yourself. yourself and show how great you are at something that it's like that's why I never wanted to see George St. Pierre leave Welter. It's like this is the best. You're watching the best welterweight that has ever competed in this sport and you get to see him twice a year and it, like that to me was why would I want to see a diminished version of George St. Pierre at middleweight, at lightweight? Like he is perfect at welterweight. There is not a flaw here that to me suggests he should move weight other than for financial reasons, which are going to drive a lot of these people. Yeah. I think if you're, if you're John Jones, like, um, you know, I think the gap between John Jones and everyone else has definitely lessened Ooh, with Tiago Santos and Dominic Reyes. But, you know, you had to be wondering for a time, like if you're Jones, are you, are you content just fighting guys where you are such a significant favorite and the public kind of responds in, in that, that same way of like, and that would be another question. We go back to, to like buys and stuff. It's like, what has, what was the business like for Tiago Santos, for Anthony Smith and for Dominic Reyes? I think of those options, like I, I really want to see that rematch with Dominic Reyes. Yeah, for sure. I don't think he has a ton of options. I think that's why he's fought those guys in the first place. It's like the only person that brought out the best of John Jones is Daniel Cormier. And if that fight's not going to happen, then, uh, now John Jones is a smart enough guy to realize, geez, if Cormier is the champ at heavyweight, I would move up to heavyweight to fight him. If Brock Lesnar, for whatever reason, want to come fight, I, I would like to fight him. Those other guys at heavyweight, Curtis Blades and them, you think he wants to fight those guys? No chance. Because it's, it's unlike if you move from 125 to 135, it's 10 pounds, right? 35 to 45 is 10 pounds. 45 to 55 is 10 pounds. This is a massive jump. You're jumping 20 pounds, which is equivalent to most two-way classes, but it's also like Floyd. Floyd had to test himself. He's beating everybody, right? Now he eventually he moves up to 147 and he wins a world title. Well, eventually he moves up to 154 and he wins a world title. Eventually, it's like, well, why doesn't he go to 160 and fight Triple G? It's like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. And it's realistically six pounds, right? But it's just like, man, it, it's it, they're not in the same weight class. He's already moved up enough. It's not a fight to put together. Don't bother. In Jones's case, it's not like he's moving up a weight class and it's six pounds. It's not like he's moving up a weight class and it's 10 pounds. If the UFC came in and said, you know what? We're starting a cruiserweight division. It's going to be 225. He'd be a shoe in for the cruiserweight division. But the idea of him going out and fighting heavyweights that are 250, 260 pounds, like if he decides I got to get big as well and I got to come at 240. Remember when he was powerlifting? Uh, I took a year off. He was powerlifting. Came and they in fought in awesome Ovin St. Prue. Fought Ovin St. Prue and looked terrible, yeah. right? And it was just like, oh, maybe it was the ring rust. It was like, no, it was the powerlifting. He's not – his frame is so effective because he's long rangey guy at 205 pounds. That same frame at heavyweight isn't the same. And when you see, oh, geez, Thiago Santos – is almost landing those bombs on him. It's like, could John Jones defeat a Derek Lewis? Yeah, I would, I would think so. But man, now you gotta take down a guy who's 65, 70 pounds heavier than the guys that you're normally taking down. And getting hit by Thiago Santos, that was a big deal. Imagine getting hit by Derek Lewis. And Derek Lewis is not a top 10 heavyweight, but he presents a ton of problems because he's just a much larger man. If you're John Jones, like, why, why would you want that? And again, it's only, only, the only thing that could happen, really. If you, if you win, great. If you lose, it's just like the greatest tool of fire of all time moved up and got beat. And it was, I don't know, just, I don't think it's a great look. George's greatest thing is he won that fight at 185 pounds against Michael Bisping. And then was smart enough to realize like, enough for me. I'm not going to fight middleweights. I'm not fighting Yul Romero. I'm not fighting Robert Whitaker. I'm not fighting Israel Adesanya. Have you seen, you've met George. George is half the size of these guys. You got to be smart. John, because he's tall, you have the idea of he could fight heavyweights. He's as tall as heavyweights, but it's the muscle density. It's the bone density. It's the size, the thickness. If you put on that thickness, he wouldn't be as effective as he is. And if he wasn't as effective as he is, 
I don't I don't see him being a two divisional world champion. It's it's such a difficult experiment to to you know process in your head because with with Jones like what I believe won him that fight against Dominic Reyes to, to you know to those that scored the I, I scored the fight for Reyes but for those that scored it for Jones it's certainly his ability like Reyes having that unbelievable pace that he wasn't able to keep up in four and five but for for Jones I mean if you're putting on that that weight is. Number one, th- those heavyweights are probably not going to have the-, the conditioning late in a fight either. But how much of that are you sacrificing if you're Jones, where so much of your game is reflexes, speed, countering? And I, I think that it would be it-, it certainly would be draw a tremendous amount of curiosity to see him up there. But I'm just looking at it that it's like this is a guy that was made for light heavyweight and going to heavyweight. It's to me like you run the risk of, you know, like a Roy Jones going up to heavyweight where what yeah. what are you sacrificing versus what are your, you know, certainly he'll have some um, advantages over heavyweights just because of his conditioning. But at the same time, what are you giving up? And are you your ability to uh, avoid power shots? Is that going to be compromised? Because suddenly it's 225 pounds of John Jones, uh, as opposed to a guy that is, you know, making weight at 205 and then putting on weight afterwards. Like, yeah, you're going to yeah, have yeah. to increase your size. And I can see John Jones having initial success. It's the long run, right? When you look at Roy Jones, that's a great example. This is the greatest super middleweight that's ever walked the planet. And he defeated John Ruiz for a heavyweight title. And everything was downhill after that. Daniel Cormier went back up to heavyweight, fought Stipe Miocic, and defeated him. Became a world heavyweight championship, or a champion in the UFC. It's beyond that. It's just like now, now you see the rematch. Now, now you get thinking, well, what about these other fights? Like, are they going to be a problem? When you talk about John Jones, what, what defeated, what was the big key for John Jones defeating Dominic Reyes? Yes, it was definitely Dominic Reyes, you know, not being able to sustain the pace maybe in rounds four and five. But I thought the key to John Jones was the wrestling, being able to now say, you know what? I am being outstruck in this fight. I'm going to take him down. He's from a camp that's just a long, long, rich history of knowing what to do to win rounds. And he did what he had to do to win the rounds. So, I had Dominic Reyes to win the fight. I did think he won the first three rounds, but all the same, I was okay with John Jones being gifted the decision. Yeah, because it was a close fight. He was a champion. It was again, it was very close. Again, he did what he had to do to win the rounds, and wasn't winning the fight. If this is Japan, maybe I give it to Dominic Reyes. But this is a round by round system, and I thought that John Jones was able to do just enough. Now, when you look at Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic, the rematch, right? Daniel Cormier is starting really well. It's just now he's the one that's fading. Why is he fading? Because I'm fighting a man who's 250 pounds. And so now I can't rely on the wrestling. Could you imagine if, if John Jones fought Stipe Miocic? And in those first couple rounds, it's it's Stipe getting off on John Jones, the way Dominic Reyes is. Now in rounds three, four, and five, when you got to rely on like, you know what? I'm going to get him up against the cage and take him down. It's like, good luck, buddy. Good luck. He's 250 pounds. In this case, Stipe wrestled at Ohio. He knows what he's doing. It's much harder to take these guys down. If you do take these guys down, it's much harder to put these guys away. And, you know, it's everything. It's their ability to get back up. It's how much does it take out of you? You could have the best cardio in the world, move up a weight class, and it's just like, wow, what happened to him? Luke Rockhold. Luke Rockhold don't tire. Luke Rockhold never tires. He moves up to 205 pounds against Jan Blockwitz. He's tired three minutes into the fight. Why? Because he was trying to take down a man who was much larger than what he was used to. And in trying to take down Blockwitz, again, the difference between 185 and 205, John, 20 pounds. Him jumping up from 185 to 205, he realized real quick, oh man, these guys are way stronger than I'm used to. I now have to use more muscle. I have to exert more energy. I'm getting tired quicker. When you get tired quicker and now you're up there against a bigger power puncher in the case of any heavyweight against John Jones, 
it would be a problem. Now, listen, I'm down with John Jones going to heavyweight because I've, we've seen the story play out. He defeated every 205 that there is. Maybe he does another fight with Dominic Reyes, but for the most part, it's like, I want to see John do something. Either push it like George did or walk away. There's nothing left to prove. But like, the I think, fights aren't that exciting. I think the heavyweight discussion now, it's like, there's a lot of interest at light heavyweight because we've seen John Jones vulnerable. Like this John Jones, yeah. to me, it's like, this is a beatable John Jones. And I think he came very, very close against Dominic Reyes. And, you know, Tiago Santos, it, it wasn't as close as Dominic Reyes, but you saw a much more competitive fight on, on a guy who was in terrible shape uh, from the injury that he sustained early in that fight. You've got some options. These are not the biggest names in the world, but I think that, you know, if you're, if you're Jones right now, I think you, you have guys that can keep you busy at 205 pounds. For sure. It's just that it's that it seems like anybody can at least give him a go now. It does. He'll win the fight, but it's like it, the guys that he's 10 to 1 favorites over, he doesn't look good. The OSP fight he's a massive favorite on, he does not look good. The Anthony Smith fight was a joke of a fight. How did Anthony Smith ever get a title fight? And it goes, all five rounds, and is a terrible fight. The Thiago Santos fight, he wins a split over a guy who had blown out both of his knees throwing punches. It's a split decision. And the Dominic Reyes fight, people largely thought he had lost that, okay? When was the last time that you saw John Jones fight and said, this man looks good? This is a top fight. When was the last time? The Cormier fight the second time, which he tested positive for steroids. Every other fight, he does not look good. He wins the fight. He does enough to get the decision. But nobody wants to watch this guy because he's not knocking out people. He's not submitting people. He doesn't seem to have any power. And people are just sick of it. Like, John Jones is not a fan favorite. And as much as he is a brilliant mixed martial artist, if this was the Baseball Hall of Fame, he wouldn't be getting in the Hall of Fame. He'd be a nobody, right? Well, that's a totally different discussion. Like in MMA, it's like that, that's not a mark against your legacy. Like if a, uh, if there was like a Hall of Fame where it was voted upon by whatever fighters, media, Anderson Silva's going in. Uh, Absolutely he's going in, as are, you know, numerous other fighters that would have, you know, failed drug tests on their resume. Like they, they all would. It's just, it's not to me. The black market is in other sports and it's it's at a sport where it's it's probably the most problematic in terms of a, of a, of a guy that is you know it's not so much the, the idea of you know being being on something and you it's it's being on it throughout your whole training and what assistance that's giving you and how fast you're able to recover and get back into the gym while your other guy has a day off because his body is broken down from training for a five-round fight it's um it just it totally skews things, um, specifically in the, in this sport. Yeah, and I feel what the thing with Anderson is that if Anderson was clean at one point and it's just highlight reel, highlight reel, highlight reel, everybody loves him, fan favorite. He's selling big. He's a Hall of Famer. Now he gets on the the later end of his career, and yes, he's got the steroid pop, and the fights aren't quite as good, but he's still Anderson. Everything he provided, like John Jones, and this is just going to come across as me not being a John Jones fan. It's like I never. There was a time when he was that young prospect coming up. It's like this guy's entertaining. He beat Shogun for the world light heavyweight title. It's like man, this is awesome. And then beyond that, it's like I never. The fight with Leo Machidi puts him away. The fight with Shot Evans wasn't a good fight. The fight with Rampage Jackson was not a good fight. We talked about all the later fights of his career. None of them were good fights. You go back to that. How good is John Jones? Okay. When I think about. When I think about uh, Anderson Silva, he fought the best guys available to him at the time. He fought big name guys. When I think about the best, you know, heavyweights in the world, it's like, man, you had to fight the other heavyweights. When I think about this bantamweight division, it's like whoever holds this crown, you're fighting multiple challengers. Why didn't anybody care about Demetrius and Demetrius' legacies? Because he wasn't fighting the best guy. Yeah, he was fighting the best guy available, but they just there was such a, a discrepancy. 
Tiago Santos was a middleweight. He was not a middleweight champion. He was a fringe contender at 185 pounds. He moves up to 205. He's largely considered a journeyman. He was given a title fight and was very competitive. Anthony Smith had 14 pro losses on his record when he fought John Jones. He was a journeyman. John Jones went through the motions. OSP should have never been in a title fight situation. And then going to Reyes, and I liked Reyes. How many people sat and said, Dominic Reyes should have this fight. Dominic Reyes has a legitimate chance. No. Nobody. Everybody just discredit him because we have John Jones. It's like, not the guy you think he is, man. And Jackson's as a whole, right down the tank, not doing as good as they used to be. A lot of turmoil for John Jones. So the fight at two, fighting at 205, fighting at heavyweight, whatever. There's, there's going to be interesting fights for John. It's that, like, the writing certainly seems to be on the wall. Uh, Cody Safdick, John Jones is a unofficial biographer right here. Uh, <laughs> but, um, no, I, I think that with Jones, I think that it's, yeah, it's, it's certainly a question of, uh, like, I, I think, like, to me, that the gap of certain opponents, like, to me, there weren't any opponents, like, he wasn't fighting at, at 205 pounds it was just the gap was there and he was someone that he was able to win all these rounds he beat everyone that was available to him but i think that you've certainly seen um you know john jones has you know he is to me it is he is much closer now to where the challengers are it's and maybe that makes it more intriguing now because the next time john jones fights it's not going to be the lead up of uh this is another one in the bag for john jones i think there's going to be great debate now of how how much of this pattern that you know you can cite that we've seen over the last number of fights does this culminate in I'm going to tune into this fight and I may may see something very historic of John Jones' first legitimate loss, which I think is yeah, a hook for yeah. some people. Yeah, now. no, definitely a hook, but I just don't know how people haven't wised up to it already. Like is, again, his last three or four performances have not been good. The Gustafson fight, he finished Gustafson. But that wasn't Alexander Gustafson, and that was a year and a half on the shelf concussion and shoulder problems, Alexander Gustafson, who was not ready to go. So again, you take that one off the table, it's like, I just feel like it's a bit of a tarnished legacy. And the thing that gets me here is that the first Cormier fight was his most competitive fight. It's a good fight outside of maybe the first Gustafson fight. The first Cormier fight's a good fight, and it's competitive, and he gets the win. The second Cormier fight, some buildup. People are excited for this. John's the greatest of all time. Cormier's finally been able to step up and present him an actual legitimate chance. That first round, Cormier wins. The second round, close round. A lot of people think Cormier won. A lot of people thought he was two, it was up to nothing. Maybe it's 1-1 going into the third, worst case scenario. He's given John a good fight. And then in the third round, John, you can see Daniel Cormier is completely exhausted. He's tired. He's pushed a pace. He's brought the fight to John Jones for 10 minutes. He's starting to fatigue the way any athlete would fatigue. John has yet to break a sweat kicks him in the head and KOs him, and turns out to be on a German anabolic, known for giving you increased stamina. That's a cheat move. He didn't look good in that. Well, I didn't look, it was a good fight. That was the last time I thought he looked good, and it turns out it was a cheap performance. All the performances I've seen since then is him being natural, is him, him being legit. Not not that exciting. So when I think, what are the pay-per-views I want to see? I want to see Israel Asani versus Yo Romero. I want to see Zhang versus Joanny and Jacek. I want to see Tony Ferguson versus Khabib. These are all the number one fighter in the world versus the number two or three fighter in the world. In John's case, it's like he, he could fight the number 10 guy in the world and they'd still give him a good fight. And you've been seeing that. Anthony Smith and Tiago Santos. And I, I honestly think Reyes will develop into something and be a legit fighter. But these other guys are just journeymen and he, he just goes through the motions. Maybe he's not being motivated for it. But there's a history of it, you know, pulling out of that Chael Sonnen fight. Remember Chael Sonnen tried to fight him on short notice? And he, him and Jackson were just like, nope, not taking this. 
And then the saying, I don't want to, I'm not going to fight any light heavyweights. I'm going to fight Brock Lesnar. Okay. Brock's not signing with the UFC. Well, then I'm not going to heavyweight and I still don't want to fight these light heavyweight contenders. Like someone just rubs me the wrong way. I like guys like Usman, who it's like, whoever you want, Masvidal, Colby Covington, whoever you want, put him here and I'll defeat him. I like that. I don't like the whole, I'll just do enough to win, go through the gears and, you know, kind of sit on my laurel. Uh, as we wrap up here, I want to give you uh, the chance to let everyone know uh, all the stuff that you're doing uh, with Paul Shaughnessy and where all of our listeners can hear more of, uh, of Cody Saftik and his uh, his John Jones analysis. Yeah, yeah, of course. So people say I'm also a Duke Rufus hater. That is not the case. John Jones, I would love to have the debate anytime. But yeah, you can catch me obviously on Twitter, sorry, at CJ Saftik. And then, yeah, we do a show on DraftKings, so you can go on DraftKings MMA, check out all the previews for all the cards, obviously with Paul Shaughnessy, at Paul Shag. And, yeah, things have been going good. So still at Fight Network, uh, doing tons of cool stuff there now, Access TV deals. So I feel like things are going pretty well. And then on the side, obviously, uh, still love breaking down the cards. So man, it was a, my pleasure to see you, John. Always, uh, yeah, always been, love getting together. It's been together way too long since we did news. one of these. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely have to get you back. We've got um, – you know, tentatively, it's it's still happening. Tony Ferguson, Habib Nurmagomedov, so April eighteenth. So, good, so no, nothing has fallen apart yet. But um, oh, who who was it? It was on some show I was listening to this week. They were like saying that you know that the coronavirus is going to cause this card to get canceled. <laughs> don't like, don't tell me. I was that. like, could you imagine? Oh. Could you imagine? After all of this, it's well, I would mean, say it's you funny you say that, but uh, yeah, I had to work. I had to work that one championship event. Like it's a, I, I'm not in, you know, Singapore or anything, but like it's an empty arena. Like Sexy Diamonds yeah. last fight. Yeah. Empty arena. And then, uh, through game TV at Anthem uh, Media, uh, they were doing these like Finnish hockey games. And I guess in Finland, they were just like, same thing. Like you can't, no public event. So it's like they're playing a hockey game in a completely empty arena. It's just like, it's totally a very different vibe. Yeah. Ve- very straight. Akiyama knocks a man unconscious and nobody cheers. Like what kind of world do we live in? So weird. It's, it's, it was like watching. Very weird. Yeah. Like almost like that to me was always so weird about those ultimate fighter, like the early yeah, seasons yeah, where yeah. you're just so not used to watching a, co- a, f- a fight happen in like a gym. And granted you have people there. Um, but yeah, it's a totally different. And I, I know like this is obviously a much bigger problem than how it affects the world of combat sports, but it just kind of emphasizes how this, it permeates a- everywhere and combat sports. They ha- are dealing with it right now with, as you mentioned, like the empty arena match and or card and what, could potentially happen to some of these cards coming up like they're talking about you know the problems about the olympics in in japan it's like these athletes like they have to prepare as though they're going in july but there's you know grave grave concern about how widespread like the precautions are going to have to be it's uh, certainly like uh, just just something that like everyone is you know different forms of entertainment and sports are going to be impacted yeah my uncle's in quarantine right now for coronavirus yeah well, he went to Thailand. He came back from Thailand. They swabbed him. They said, like, clean. So he's just like, okay, cool. Comes back to Toronto. And he says, as soon as he comes back to Toronto, he's like, there's no swabbing. There's no nothing. He's like, they just let this whole plane of people. He was in Thailand. They flew to Hong Kong, flew to Toronto from Hong Kong. Oh. He's like, there's no swabbing. They just let everybody go. He's like, so he's like the primary caregiver for like my two grandparents in Sudbury. So he's like, man, they're both like 84 years old and have health problems. He's like, if I have anything, like they're the first to go. So he checks himself in the hospital and then they're just like, yeah, you have to quarantine yourself for two weeks. So he's in Sudbury. He's stuck in his apartment, basically, like can work from home. But like, that's the precaution. So imagine you are a high level athlete and they're just like, you can't leave the house for two weeks. Like, what do you do? Like, oh, I got a, I got a home gym. It's just like home gym's not 
getting it done. You know, like you got to push yourself. You got to exchange limits. You need, you need training parties. You need all these different things to help you attain that level. And it's like, yeah, lots of stuff. I, I'm, I'm trying to play on the side of like, I'm not worried about it. Like whatever. It's just a media thing, but like, it's the way you contract. It's not that it's killing. Like, listen, I'm 28 years old. I'm not dying. If I was to contract it, it's the way that you seemingly can just pick it up easy and then you can pass it easy and then think about all the, your loved ones that would probably be gravely affected. So something that bears monitoring for sure. I mean, it's, just, it's, it's something that like you, you just have to be as cautious as you can. Like the, you know, the preventable measures you can take. I mean, you know, making sure like washing your hands, just like be, being aware uh, of what is out there. I think. Yeah. That what kind of world do we live in where people just don't wash their hands anyways? Like I don't, I don't uh, know. This world. But, <laughs> but, but the common flu has killed far more people than coronavirus. And I, I, I don't know if maybe just because it's a new thing and I don't know. I don't know the ways to protect yourself. Joanna tweeted out that meme of her wearing a gas mask against Zhang, but I don't think it went over too well. And she took a lot of heat for that. No, no, that was not a, not a wise decision. By no, her. I mean, I, I, I get the selling of fight. I get that. But like, if anything, I think she upset Zhang. And I, I would, I don't know. Joanna's my girl. And you know that. And we're back from the fight network. Like, I, I've always been a huge Joanna fan, but like, a part of me thinks, not a, not a passing of the torch. I mean, Joanna's already lost the title and Zhang is the champion, but this would be a huge moment for Zhang. I, I, I do believe. And because it's, it's two fighters that play right into each other's hands. I mean, Joanna and Jacek is the superior striker, but she's not as strong. She's smaller. And being technical and Chris this is my last point. We can get off it. A, a great wrestler versus an okay wrestler. The great wrestler generally wins nine out of 10 times. A great grappler, jujitsu player versus, you know, a good jujitsu player. The, the grappler is going to win nine out of 10 times. A great striker versus a good striker, it seems 50-50. It doesn't matter. When you're throwing punchy kicky to the head with those small gloves, it doesn't matter if you're a former K1 champion. It doesn't matter. It's like you leave yourself open to those punches. In Joanna's case, yeah, she's got all, she's got all the striking in the world, but we have seen her get hurt before. We have seen her get hit before. And Zhang just presents a tremendous amount of problems. So I'm really looking forward to that fight as this whole card. And uh, as far as the Corona thing goes, Hopefully she's free to go back home and celebrate with her friends and family. Cause imagine your training camps are always in China, right? And now it's like, you got to leave China. Cause if you don't leave right now, you're not going to be able to come over a week. Of she, she had to go to Thailand yeah. then from Thailand to Vegas. I mean, she has had to go all over and just then has in had to do the, the months leading camp. up to this. Yeah. And then had to do the whole camp in Vegas. So how does that throw things off for you? Absolutely. How does that affect your cornermen coming over? Absolutely. How does it affect, you know, uh, maybe supporters that were going to come? Like, I think it changes a lot for the mentality, but. That all aside, I think she sees the meme and then fire burns in her eyes and she wants a piece of Joanne. And that's probably the fight I'm most looking forward to. Even though, even though this headliner is one hell of a headliner, who's saying they're more looking forward to the, the women's flyweight matchup? I, I am. I think this is a great fight. I, I, I'm looking forward to both uh, title fights. Cody, always great to, to chat with you. Thanks so much for, uh, for coming by and chatting with us. And we'll definitely do it again soon.